Thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, I'm never sure how long it's acceptable to say Happy New Year for um, after the start of the New Year's. It's still okay. It's the first time I've seen many of you in um, 2019. But the, the year is wearing on a little bit, isn't it? I mean, I guess most of us have probably... Um, or many of us, let me say that, let me not make any assumptions, have um, started um, our new healthy living and eating regime. Um, I guess many of us have probably already abandoned our new um, healthy living and eating um, regime. Um, But, well, let's just trust that maybe the the boxes of chocolates have all been consumed um, and that they're, oh no, shaking her head, some of you still working your way through those um, Christmas gifts. Um, Talking of um, boxes of chocolates, see what I did there. Um, Have you ever got to that stage? You're eating a box of chocolates, you're eating your your favourite boxes of chocolates maybe, and um, you're coming towards towards the end and um, you've enjoyed it, but suddenly you discover there's a second layer. You've been in that moment. I don't know about you, because I know people have strong feelings about the whole second layer thing. I'm a, I'm a, you're not allowed to go into the second layer until the first layer is all consumed kind of person. So, so maybe some of you have never had that experience because you were already like diving for your favorite ones on the second layer. Um, but, but it's a great moment when you discover that something that you thought was perhaps finished, that you thought was perhaps you knew everything there was about it, you suddenly discover there's more. Or if you're not a chocolates kind of person, maybe you're an Avengers kind of person. Maybe, imagine what it would be like. I know some of you, you you're like, this is going over your head, it's fine. Just, just forget about it, stick with the chocolates. That's what I do whenever Marvel movies um, come on. I'm not a Marvel fan, it has to be admitted. Um, but, so, don't hate me. <laughs> So I'll just stick with the chocolates. But imagine, imagine you've watched the Avengers movie, um, you've faithfully watched all the you know, single character films put out by Marvel, you've watched um, The Age of Ultron, I did my research. Um, but imagine you'd never knew that Infinity Wars existed. And I know, the shock and the horror. And suddenly you discovered, someone said to you, there's another movie, there's Infinity Wars. Imagine suddenly you discovered there was more. And imagine the passion and the glee with which you would rush to the cinema. Or it's probably too late for that. So you would, you would update your Netflix subscription or whatever it was. And, and you would watch the movie because suddenly you discovered that there was more. We're going to look um, at a biblical character today um, who, in a much less trivial way, um, discovered that actually there was far more than he had ever imagined. We're going to look at King Josiah. Okay, so you've got some references up here. You'll be relieved to know we are not going to read all four of those chapters of Scripture um, together this morning. It would take us quite a while, and we probably wouldn't be finished um, by 10 past 12. Um, But if you want to jot those down and you want to kind of read through those four chapters uh, and get a bit of wider context and understand, and perhaps the Holy Spirit will start to speak to you and reveal even more lessons that you can learn from the life of King Josiah. Just before we dive into a a portion of that um, scripture, let me give you a little bit of a background. Now, those of you familiar with your Bible history, your Old Testament history, will know that Israel wasn't always a kingdom. 
They didn't always have a king, but there came a time in their history when they asked for a king. And Samuel, the prophet, was very instrumental. First of all, they had a king called Saul, and he didn't turn out to be a very good king, and he was replaced by a king called David. Now, David was like the great, glorious king of Israel. Those were the glorious days, and God gave promises that there would always be a descendant of his to rule on the throne, and we see that fulfilled in Jesus But anyway, David had a son called Solomon, and Solomon started out good, but actually things went wrong in his life. He got distracted by other things, um, and he didn't really follow God all the way through his life with his whole heart. And as a result, God said, actually, this kingdom is going to be divided. And it didn't happen in his lifetime. It happened in the lifetime of his son, Rehoboam. Now, Rehoboam, um, he started out ruling over the kingdom, but it got divided into two, a northern part and a southern part. Now, the northern part carried on being called Israel, and the southern part became Judah. So if you've ever read bits of your Bible and you're suddenly like, how come there's suddenly Israel and Judah? That's the history of that particular thing that happened. So hundreds of years went by, and all different kings came and went. And all the kings in Judah, the southern kingdom, were descended from David, but the different dynasties came and went in the northern kingdom because it was particularly characterized by plots and coups and different people taking power um, in the northern kingdom. Now, all this time, God is consistently warning his people, um, both in the northern and the southern kingdoms, that if you won't come back to me, if you won't live faithfully, if you won't live in obedient relationship with me, then there's only one inevitable consequence of all this, because you can't be my people that represent me and, and my beautiful, harmonious, loving rule and reign if you won't live in relationship with me. If you won't worship me, if you won't be devoted to me, if we're not doing this together, then, then all that's going to result is brokenness and, and corruption. And, and the prophets come along and they warn God's people, you're actually going to end up in exile. You're going to end up being taken captive by other kingdoms. And, and you won't be able to be this amazing kingdom that represents God. And this actually happens in 709 BC. Um, the northern kingdom, um, Israel, goes into captivity. The Assyrians come and they oppress them and they, they carry them off into captivity and the northern kingdom falls. And that was during the time when Hezekiah was king of the southern kingdom. Who's still with me? Great. So Hezekiah was the king of the southern kingdom, Judah, at the time when Israel, the northern part, fell to the Assyrians. And at that time, two prophets, one called Micah. Anyone heard of Micah? Yes. And one called Isaiah. Anyone heard of Isaiah? You heard of him this morning, if not before, because Lydia mentioned him right at the start of the meeting. Now, Isaiah and Micah were prophesying, and they were saying to to Judah, the southern kingdom, they were saying, look, you're living unfaithfully too. You're being disobedient too. Because what happened with Judah, Israel, all their kings had been bad, but Judah, they'd had like mostly bad kings and an occasional good one, so they'd managed to last a bit longer. But but Isaiah and Micah were saying to Judah, the, the, the kingdom of Judah, they were saying, you're being unfaithful as well. You're being idolatrous. You're worshipping other gods. You're abandoning your relationship with God. You need to come back. You need to repent. Because if you don't, you're going to end up in captivity too. 
Now, Hezekiah, he was on the whole a good king, but when his reign came to an end, his son was called Manasseh. Now, Manasseh, he was a wicked, evil king, and he just went right back into idolatry, worshipping other gods. He just didn't care about God at all. Now, he ruled for quite a while, and then he had a son, uh, Amon, and Amon, he only ruled for two years. He was 22 when he came to power. He was 24 when he got assassinated. Um, and, and that meant that, I mean, he, he obviously started young because, having children, I mean, because what we had was an eight-year-old. So I worked this out. He was 16 when he had his son. Um, and, and Josiah, by the time his dad got assassinated, was only eight years old. Okay? So if you've got the picture, you've got Hezekiah, great-granddad, he, he did all right on the whole, um, but Israel had fallen, and the prophets are all warning, you've got to come back to God, you've got to live wholeheartedly for God, or you're going to go into captivity as well. But then his granddad, Manasseh, is like this really evil king, and he leads the people back in, instead of repenting and coming back to God, he leads them further away from God, into idolatry and, and abandoning God. And then Amon, his dad, um, he's like a complete failure as well, and gets assassinated, and just suddenly Josiah, at eight years old, having just had his dad assassinated, becomes king of Judah. Okay? Wow. Two kings. Two kings, chapter 22. Verses 1 to 7. I'll let you turn there or dial it up while I take a swig of water. We're going to read the first seven verses of 2 Kings 22. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidah, daughter of Adaiah. She was from Bozkath. He did what was right. And by the way, these names in the Bible, do not worry about it. Just say what sounds right to you. If you say it confidently, everyone will go, oh, that's how you say it. So don't, don't worry about it. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent the secretary, Shaphan, son of Azaliah, the son of Meshalam, to the temple of the Lord. And he said, go up to Hilkiah the high priest and make him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Make them entrust it to the men appointed to supervise the work of the temple. And make these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord, the carpenters, the builders, and the masons. And make them purchase timber and dress stone to repair the temple." but they need not account for the money entrusted to them because they are honest in their dealings. The first thing we notice about Josiah is that he loves God. He loves God and he wants to do what's right. He's concerned about the state of the temple. Imagine the contrast between his father and his grandfather. But somehow, and we don't know all the details, but Somehow, Josiah has a heart that is towards God. Josiah wants to see the temple restored. Now, the temple represents the presence of God and the worship of his people. And, and Josiah's moved and he's concerned that, that there should be worship, that, that, that the people should honor God and, and do things right. In two Chronicles, the two Chronicles account, um, 
we're coming back to two kings, so you might want to keep a finger there if you're doing this the old-fashioned way. Um, in 2 Chronicles 34 and verse 3, it says, In the eighth year of his reign, so this is when he's 16, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. In his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles, and idols. So as well as wanting to restore the temple, he's actually starting to say all these places, these high places, these Asherah poles, these idols, it's all to do with worshipping false gods. And, and he's like, I want to get rid of that from the country. I want to get rid of that from the nation. I want us to be devoted to God. So Josiah is not like this evil person. Yeah, Josiah is not, when we come to read about Josiah, what I want you to understand is we're not talking about someone who doesn't love God. We're not talking about someone whose heart isn't towards God. And I reckon not many of us are here today because we hate God. Yeah? Not many of us actually bothered to be here today. It may be that you're here today. It may be that you're um, visiting us. It may be that you've been coming along for a while and you're not sure exactly how you feel about God. You're not sure about this whole Christianity thing. Maybe you're just exploring. Even that's different to hating God, isn't it? Maybe you're just kind of like, you're, you're starting to wonder, you're starting to ask some questions. And wow, wasn't it amazing? You got to hear person after person this morning, um, prophesying. That's what we call it when someone is enabled by the Holy Spirit to speak on behalf of God, saying that he's given his son for you, saying that he's given Jesus because he wants to give your life meaning and purpose. He wants you to be able to be a part of bringing his amazing, um, harmonious, loving order, his rule and reign, things being the way he designed and created them to be. You see, we believe that this world, this age in which we live, will come to an end. And that Jesus will come back and usher in just his, perf- his perfection, um, his perfect order, where there's no injustice, where there's no war, where there's no suffering, where there's no sickness. But we believe that when Jesus came um, the first time, that he kind of made that possible, that he began that age, even though it's still to come. And we believe that he calls us, by accepting him into our lives, to be part of bringing that into our world, to be part of, of saying to everyone around us, you can be part of this too. Jesus gave his life, Jesus shed his blood, so that you could be forgiven for living life apart from God, and live your life for the purpose for which you were made. We call this the gospel. Uh, And if you are visiting, you know, as you've heard already, Alpha would be amazing. Or talk to someone um, this morning. We'd love to explain more to you about this amazing truth of what Jesus has done for you. But whether we're still seeking, but even for most of us, we're here because we've made a decision to follow Jesus. We're not here because we're against God. We're not here because we hate God. We're here because our hearts are towards God. We're here because we've made a decision that we want to honor God in some kind of way with our lives. We might look at Josiah and think, well, he had pretty much everything sorted. You know, he'd come from this terrible background, but he'd set his heart towards God. He'd set his heart towards restoring the temple and and getting rid of the idolatry in the nation. But then we read this in verses 8 to 13 of 2 Kings 22. 2 Kings 22, 8 
2.13. Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan, who read it, and then Shaphan, the secretary, went to the king and reported to him, your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and the supervisors at the temple. And then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah, the priest, Ahikam, son of Shaphan, Akbar, son of Micaiah, Shaphan the secretary, and Asaiah the king's attendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They've not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. Josiah discovers that there is more. There is far more than he ever realized to living a relationship with God. He's been faithful in as far as he understood. He's been pursuing God. He's not against God. His heart is towards God. But suddenly he's confronted with a reality that there was far more to living this life in relationship with God than he had ever realized than the people had ever realized. Somehow, the book of the law, the the Old Testament scriptures, the, the copy of the covenant that God had entered into with his Old Testament people, somehow that had gone missing. Somehow it had been overlooked. Maybe the people weren't interested anymore. There it was, tucked away somewhere, hidden in the temple. But the people weren't, weren't reading it. The people weren't bothered by what God had had to say to them. There was so much more than they realized. Their hearts, or certainly Josiah's heart, wasn't against God. He thought he was living faithfully, but suddenly he's confronted with a greater reality, with more truth than he realized. The fact that Josiah loved God did not mean that he was living in the full extent of God's plan and purpose for his life. And I believe that God would challenge us today. He would affirm our love for him. He would affirm our choice to give our lives to him, to pursue him. And yet I believe gently and tenderly God would nevertheless confront us and say, what if there's more? What if there's more to living a life in faithful relationship and obedience with me than you have so far discovered. It's not a judgment that says you don't love God. It's not wiping you out saying you miserable, horrible people. There's a commendation. You've loved God. You've worshipped God. But what if there's more? What if there's more than you realize? You see, Josiah's response was dramatic and wholehearted. He tore his clothes. Now, if you come under conviction this morning, please don't rip all of your clothes off. That would just be indecent and improper, okay? We're not doing that. Um, But there's a reaction, isn't there? There's a reaction in Josiah's heart when he realizes, oh my goodness, there's more that God has got for us as his people. 
there's a greater dimension of faithfulness. I thought I was running after God, but now I've discovered that there's more that he requires from me. Now I've discovered that there are more blessings that he has in store for me. There's more advice and counsel and wisdom that he wants to give to me. There was this whole dimension of our relationship. There was this whole purpose. And I wasn't aware of it, but now I've discovered it. Things can't stay the same. I can't just ignore it. I can't just let it pass me by. I can't just say, well, tell Hilkiah the priest. That's nice. But actually, he tears his clothes And when we go on to read in the rest of those chapters, we discover a wholehearted response. He tears his clothes, a sign of repentance. He leads the people in renewing their covenant with God. He says, we can't can't ignore that God has called us to live this way, but actually we have to renew this covenant. We have to commit ourselves as a a nation. We have to say, we're going to live this way again. We're going to live faithfully with God. We're going to obey him with our whole hearts. He destroyed, we read, the high places. He went around searching out. He'd already been against idolatry, but now he's like, he's really zealous, he's passionate. He's like, I can't allow any of this idolatry to remain. There's so much more that God has got for us as a nation. He celebrated the Passover, something that hadn't happened for many, many years in Israel, even though it was supposed to be like the focal point of their community life together in the Old Covenant. Something that has become replaced for us by the new covenant meal where we celebrate the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. And he says this has to be restored to the center of our life again as a community where we remember constantly what God has done from us in delivering us from a life of slavery and bringing us to a place where we're called to live faithfully for him, representing him in our world. So my question to us today, what if there's more? What if there's more? What if God has more for you and for us? What if there's more to this Christian life than you realized? Perhaps your heart was good. Perhaps your heart was towards God. Perhaps you wanted to do the right thing. I'm sure that's why you're here. I'm sure that's why you're part of the church. But what if there's more to being part of the church? What if there's a call of God on your life to live your whole life as a mission from God into this world? What if there's actually an identity, a a way of understanding who you are that says, I'm not who I was anymore. My life isn't about just using my relationship with God to make me feel better or or, or the, the Christian life is actually not about how to live a more comfortable life. What if there's actually a revelation and an understanding, a challenge, a discovery for us to make that actually my whole life is about making Jesus famous. That actually my whole life, every moment, the way I live my relationships, the way I interact with my family, the way I interact with my friends, the way I am in my workplace, everything about me is supposed to point to Jesus and his goodness. What if there's more power than you realize? What if there's more authority? What if God really has commissioned you to heal the sick and to cast out demons? 
What if actually every moment of your life is supposed to be a testimony to this amazing gospel of God's wonderful kingdom and how people can be a part of it? What if there's more to the way that God wants to use you in your workplace? What if there's more to the changes he wants to work in society through you? Offering hope to the hopeless. Provision for the poor or the marginalized. Freedom for the oppressed. We heard that manifesto right at the start of what Jesus came to do in our world. What if God wants to use you in those ways? What if there's more than turning up at church on a Sunday? What if there's more than being really radical and coming to connect during the week? What if there's a whole life full of adventure and purpose for you? You know where Josiah or Hilkiah the priest, who then brought it to Josiah, do you know where they discovered their more? They discovered it in the temple. They discovered it right there in the presence of God, where it had been waiting for them all along. Is there more for you, for me, for us? You see, one of the things that we discover so brilliantly from understanding Old Testament history is that God's purpose is never just individualized. We live in a very individualistic world and society that translates everything through the lens of me and my life. And yet, the biblical lens is me and my community me and my family, me and God's people? What if there's more for us as King's Church Central? What if there's more for us as King's Church in all of its communities? What if there's more for us as the Church of Jesus Christ in this city and in this region of Greater Manchester? What if there's more? What if there's more? What if there's an actual change in society? What if there's a revival that God wants to bring about? What if there's actually the excitement of seeing hundreds and thousands of people giving their lives on a regular basis to living in God's kingdom? What if there's more than just turning up at church for another year? What if there's more? Are you hungry? Will you give yourself? Will you pursue it? Will you look for it? I don't believe that God is hiding it from you but I do believe that God is hiding it for us. I do believe that it's right there for us in his presence if we will only pursue it. For us, that doesn't look like going to a temple, a physical temple anymore, but it does, like pursuing, it does look like pursuing the presence of God in our worship, both in our daily lives and with one another. It does look like pursuing God and his presence in his word, reading his word, being hungry to hear him and understand him. It looks like a life of prayer, where I say both individually and with my brothers and sisters, I'm going to pursue what God has to say to us. I want to know the more. I can't just be satisfied knowing that there might be more, but I have to find it out. If there's more to this life, if there's more that God's got to say, I have to hear him. Because the response in me is wholehearted. Because metaphorically, I tear my clothes at the thought of there being more that God has called me to. At the thought of there being a higher call on my life than I have so far managed to live. Of the possibility even that God might be calling us to more. That I would repent. Not in the sense of, you know, I've robbed a bank or I've you know, committed adultery or or those kind of big things that we think of. 
But in a sense, and of course, if you've done any of those things, then you need to repent. But even of the notion that I'm, we may, even if we weren't aware of it, Josiah wasn't aware of it. But as soon as he discovered that there was more, there was, God, forgive me for living less than you have called me to. I was running after you with all my heart, but forgive me, I've discovered that there's more. And the response was so total, so passionate, so radical, saying, God, I want everything that you have for me. Could we be that people? Could we be that kind of people? It says, I will not settle. I will not be satisfied. I will not be prepared to live a life of comfort knowing that there might be more, but I don't really want to go into that because it might challenge me. But would we be hungry and eager and passionate and zealous to lay hold of all that God has got for us? In this 2019, what if this is a season in which God wants to call us to more? Could you make a wholehearted and passionate response? This is, God, I will pursue you and your presence. I pursue what you've got to say to us. I'll listen with eager anticipation as people come to preach and proclaim the word of God to us. As I meet with my brothers and sisters in the body of Christ and we share what we're reading in the scriptures together. As we pray together, as we worship together, as we hear prophetic word being brought to us under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, God, I'm going to be hungry. And I'm going to take hold of everything that you say to us with my whole heart. Because I'm determined that I will not fall short of anything that you've called us to as individuals and together as a community. I just want to finish by giving us an opportunity um, to respond. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. We're going to um, look a lot over the first half of this year at different ways in which God might be calling us to walk and run more passionately, more radically after him. There'll be a theme in lots of different subjects in different ways, but of a wholehearted, radical, passionate, zealous commitment to Jesus. But this morning, an opportunity at the outset to say, God, I'm making a commitment right now. I want everything. I, run, I want to run after you with my whole heart. If there's more, then I want it with all of my heart. Let's respond together.